Well, good morning. Good morning. As, I, uh, as I mentioned, I guess, a few weeks ago when um, Susie was here looking up and now seeing Shelly's face just sort of makes things a little bit more right with the world. <laughs> I have missed seeing that face for uh, three years, so it's good to have you back. And uh, we're going to give Shelly an opportunity to talk about her experience uh, as a missionary here in, a, in the coming months, because she's going to be around for a while. We haven't talked about an exact date, but we uh, definitely are going to have some time uh, to let her share. And uh, so look forward to that. Well, to say, I guess, in this day and age that peace is in short supply is pretty much a massive understatement. Um, we're not going to go through this again, are we? There we go. One thing that lends some credence to, to my statement is something called the Unisys Security Index. Now, it's a survey of questions that, uh, of more than 13,000 people in 13 different countries. And it's considered one of the only recurring global snapshots of the perceptions of various citizens. Uh, and it measures anxiety about issues like national security, disasters, or epidemics, and even personal safety. And in 2017, the survey showed that levels of U.S. anxiety have jumped sharply since the last survey in 2014. And they came in at the highest level since the surveys began over a decade ago. Uh, it's an and this is a quote from uh, Eunice's senior vice president. He says, it is an understatement to say that anxiety level is high and we live in very uncertain times. We definitely have seen a huge spike over the last three years. Another expert added, it appears that our cloak of security, the impression that we are more secure than the rest of the world is starting to fade. On a more individual level, a woman named Sarah Fader provides even more proof. Now, this past winter, uh, Sarah, who is a 37-year-old uh, social media consultant living in Brooklyn, uh, and she has a generalized anxiety disorder. Not sure what that is. Um, anyway, so anyway, Sarah texts a friend in Oregon about an impending visit. I'm not sure who was going to visit whom, but this was they were getting together. When a quick response failed to materialize, she posted on Twitter to her 16,000 plus followers, I don't hear from my friend for a day. My thought, they don't want to be my friend anymore. She wrote, appending the, appending the hashtag, this is what anxiety feels like. Thousands of people were soon offering up their own examples under that hashtag, and some were retweeted more than 1,000 times. There's an example right there. You might say Mrs. Fader, Ms. Fader struck a nerve. If you're a human being living in 2017 and you're not anxious, she said on the telephone, there's something wrong with you. Well, with all due respect to Ms. Fader, I would say that if you are living in 2017 and you are a follower of Jesus and you are anxious, there's something wrong with you. The theme for Advent Second Sunday is peace. So let's see what Scripture has to say about peace in the inbreaking kingdom. And the Scripture that we're going to kind of drop anchor on 
for this Sunday is once again from Luke's Gospel, and it contains just two verses. Uh, Fairly well-known verses, if you have ever heard the Christmas story before. This is from Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now that last phrase in Greek is literally people of goodwill. Now, this might mean those who are well disposed, but it's better understood as a Jewish phrase describing those people who enjoy God's favor. So this is not about peace uh, for those whose goodwill deserves it. It's about the unmerited grace of God which brings salvation to anybody who enjoys his goodwill. And if God is at peace with us, then all peace should naturally flow from that. Peace of mind, peace with angels, peace between Jew and Gentile. So the angels herald this kingdom inbreaking with a word of peace coming to humankind and by extension to all of us. And since we know that Jesus is the source of peace, as you know, one of his names given by Isaiah was the Prince of Peace. So let's look at several examples in his life so as to answer this question. What kind of peace does God's inbreaking kingdom bring? And I would say, first and foremost, well, not foremost necessarily. That's not there. There we go. It is a peace that overcomes turbulent storm. And for this, we will go to a different part of Luke. We're in chapter 8, verses 22 through 24. Again, another fairly familiar story, I think. And it says, One day he got into a boat, he being Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filled with, filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? Now the word rebuke that he uses here um, which is also the same word that he uses to expel demons, has led some people to suggest that the storm should be viewed as demonic. But that's really not the case because he uses this same word when he's speaking to a fever. So this is really just Luke's way of kind of vividly portraying that Jesus has authority over these inanimate forces, whatever they may be. And if we look at, as we're looking at this passage, there's really two things that I want you to sort of see as we go through this. Um, the first is what we, we call Christological in nature. Just, and really all that means is it's got something to do with Jesus. All right? And so Jesus' authority over the wind and the waves should recall to us passages in the Old Testament about God's sovereign authority over all of creation. Right? You know, he, he didn't, He didn't speak to the disciples. He spoke to the wind. 
the wind heard the word of Jesus and obeyed. It was calm, still, clear skies, no rain, no more danger. The God who could command the powers of the sea to swallow up Jonah could also still the power of the seas to save his son and his disciples. The God who could divide the Egyptian Sea and Jordan River to give his people freedom and land could also rebuke the storm to reveal his son as the ultimate source of peace. What does this tell us about Jesus' identity? Well, if Jesus is sovereign over all of creation, he is surely sovereign over anything we face in life. The second main theme is about our response to this authority. Jesus challenged his disciples with the question, where is your faith? Now how could Jesus question the faith of these men who had followed him so faithfully throughout his ministry? Men who had forsaken their occupations, their family, the security that they had for this nomadic, homeless life of this man they now called Master. Well, the answer, I think, is that the disciples were men seeing Jesus' marvelous power at work in new ways every day. I can just, can you kind of imagine that? It's like, oh, we've never seen that before. And it, it was like that every day pretty much. And they were men of strong character, but they were still just men. And times of crisis saw them reverting to the emotions of common humanity. You know, ignoring and forgetting the power of the one they were following. Now see, Jesus was looking to the day when danger would no longer bring fear but an expectation of divine intervention. But at this point, that day hadn't come yet. Because the disciples were still trying to figure out exactly who Jesus was and where the heck he was going. So they let their human fears rule their lives. And it would take crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and ultimately Pentecost to change all that. But Jesus' question, where is your faith, is a challenge to us as well. Are we willing to trust God through life's difficulties? Now what I'm about to say is hard for a lot of people to hear, but that doesn't make it any less true. If you have a lack of peace in your life, then you don't trust the Prince of Peace. It's a bumper sticker. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. See, the lesson made plain for the disciples on the lake, and for us as well, is that whenever we come to the end of our own resources, we discover that we have to throw ourselves on the mercy of Jesus. Because there's no one else and nothing else that will help. So this choice of faith is an absolute choice. Either we trust him or we're left at the mercy of the storm. 
And we'll only give the right answer to the question of who Jesus is when we realize that to give it commits us to total trust and obedience. And so the inbreaking peace of Christmas has the power to overcome life's turbulent storms. But it also, that same peace has another power. It has the power to overcome a troubled mind. Just a few verses up from where we were in chapter 8, and this is verses, verses 27 through 35. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When Jesus saw him, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the most son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he, wouldn't break, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon out into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, before Jesus showed up, this was a man who really had a troubled mind. For one thing, he ran around naked. All right. Now, unless you're intentionally engaging in that 70s fad called streaking, this is not something that someone of a sound mind does. He also doesn't live in a house. He lives in a graveyard. Once again, not the lifestyle choice of anyone who's not several french fries short of a Happy Meal. The text tells us that the reason for his mental instability was that he was demon-possessed. Then Jesus shows up, commands the demons to leave, and the end result is a man at complete peace. He's not running around naked howling at the moon anymore. He now has his clothes on, he's sitting at Jesus' feet, and I was thinking about this. And if I had to guess, I would be my guess that Jesus is kind of having a nice little one-on-one -on -one conversation with him about the kingdom. Okay, so you're thinking that's a great story. Great demonstration of Jesus' power and authority. Very happy for the man and all those townspeople that don't have to deal with this naked nut any longer. But what's this got to do with me? Well, in something of a continuation from the previous point, may I suggest that if you are running around with a troubled mind, 
You may not be demon-possessed, but you sure ain't Jesus-possessed. If you are constantly in a state of worry about this thing or that person or this event or what about if that happens, then how can you say Jesus is a major part of your life? I'm going to take a little side trip to one of the Psalms for a second. Just to remember who we're talking about here. Okay. This is from Psalm 139. Written by King David. I, didn't, I intentionally did not want to show it because I want you to listen. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light above me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame... <clears throat> was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. All right, let's recap what King D said here. God knows everything about you. He knows what you are doing. He knows what you are thinking. He knows where you are going. He knows what you are going to say even before you do. Whether you are up or down, high or low, east or west, in the air, under the sea, or in total darkness, he knows it and is there with you. He is the creator of every molecule of your existence and already knew about all of the days of your life before you were even born. And after hearing that, how could you not say Jesus is a major part of your life? And if he and his father know you to the extent just mentioned, and scripture tells us that he loves you with an unconditional and everlasting love, why would you worry about anything? Let the inbreaking peace of Christmas overcome your troubled mind. And finally, the inbreaking peace of Christmas is a peace that overcomes a tumultuous world. For this, we're going to leave Luke and go to the book of John. 
just two verses. John 16, 32 and 33. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In his book, Loving God, Charles Colson tells about the experiences of Alexander Solzhenitsyn in the Siberian work camp, where he underwent a pattern of backbreaking labor and slow starvation, leading to a hopelessness that became too much to bear. <coughs> One day Solzhenitsyn put, his, put down his shovel and sat down on a bench, knowing full well that such an action could cost him his life. Amid his dejection, he suddenly felt a powerful presence. Beside him, hunched over, an old man was drawing a stick through the sand at his feet, making the sign of the cross. As Solzhenitsyn stared at that rough outline, his entire perspective shifted. He knew he was merely one man against the all-powerful Soviet empire. Yet in that moment, he also knew that the hope of all mankind was represented by that simple cross. And through its power, anything was possible. Solzhenitsyn slowly got up, picked up his shovel, and went back to work. Not knowing that his writings on truth and freedom would one day inflame the whole world. Suddenly, Despite his brutal circumstances, he was a man at peace. Colson concludes, Such is the power God's truth affords one man willing to stand against seemingly hopeless odds. Inner peace is conditional. It can only come through Jesus. The world offers only trouble, and that need not plague Jesus' followers, because we belong to the one who overcame the world. Fear turns into peace when we learn how to apply Jesus' victory in our own lives. In contrast to our assumption that peace means the absence of conflict, Jesus promises that his peace becomes apparent in the very middle of trouble and conflict. Troubles remind us to ask for God's peace. God's answer will not usually mean that the problem will be over, but that Christ's peace will see us through it. How much have you relied on the peace of Jesus when you face trouble? If you haven't already, let the inbreaking peace of Christmas overcome your tumultuous world. Now, at first glance, all of these stories may feel like they're kind of a world away from yours and my daily experience. But in truth, they're not. In the first story, the turbulent storm is holding court 
And Jesus brings kingdom peace when we cry out to him. In the second, we see a troubled mind being calmed by Jesus. And in the third, our tumultuous world can cause us to sink into hopelessness, to which Jesus replies, No, I have overcome it. The answer, the inbreaking kingdom, found in the person of the one who is called the Prince of Peace. Let peace reign in your own life by yielding to Jesus, by crying out for help, and by welcoming him to take control again. I had this thought while we were in worship, and it just struck me that you may or may not remember, uh, because I did all this research, it's, it's forever indelibly lodged in my head, but it probably 50 or 60 years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King made the statement that 10.30 on Sunday morning was the most racially divided hour in the country. Okay. I think it's incumbent upon us to make sure that 10.30 a.m., is also not the most hypocritical hour on, in, the, in the country. And what I mean by that is, we stand here and we sing, how great is our God, for a few minutes. And then we walk away from here, and we immediately lose sight of that greatness. Our minds immediately start to worry, and be upset and concerned, and we either forget or never really believed what we were singing in the first place. That's being hypocritical. As they say um, in many commercials, don't be that guy. <laughs> don't be that girl. You're, it's right and proper to sing how great is our God because he is. But believe it when you leave here. Know it in your heart. Believe it when he says, I have overcome the world and everything that's in it. Meditate on Psalm 139 if you need to. To get in your head the full extent to which God knows you. It was interesting as I read through that and then I thought, well, I want to summarize this. And then when I put that summary together, it's like, just kind of like a light bulb went on. Sometimes I think taking scripture and putting it in your own words maybe just summarizing the thoughts can really help you to get a hold of something. It did for me. It was, it was, there's nothing, there's nowhere that God doesn't, isn't there with us and know everything 
so intimately about us. And if that's truly the case, then what are we worried about? So grab hold of the peace that Jesus offers. Walk away from here knowing that peace because you know Jesus. And because Jesus knows you better than you even know yourself. And when those times of worry occur, just push them away. This is one of those skills that takes practice. It's not natural, I don't think. But it's possible. The control that we feel like we have to have over everything. And just trust you with it. So I thank you, Lord once again, for your peace. And just pray that you let everyone here today feel a touch of that peace. Bless each one as they go forth from this place. Father, let them all sing, How Great is Our God, and mean every word of it. Let us all enjoy peace in this busiest of seasons. When peace seems to be the antithesis of everything that we run into. It's in those times, Father, that we ask that peace passes our understanding and we just have it. And it doesn't make sense. And yet there it is. And let us all be purveyors of peace to all that we come in contact with. Let that peace be contagious to the point that folks ask us, I don't understand how you are so calm. Then you can tell them. So we thank you and we praise you, Lord God, until we have the opportunity to be together once again. We lift this time and the service all up to you. And we ask this now in the mighty and holy name.